The global outbreak of COVID-19 has made the world of retail almost unrecognizable. But what trends and changes are we seeing in the way consumers pay? Retail Relay is your weekly bite-sized update brought to you by CMSPI. CMSPI is an independent global payments consultancy that helps merchants enhance and optimize their end-to-end payment strategy. With transparency into trends across different industries, channels, and continents, as well as visibility of the market coming from hundreds of merchants across the globe every year, we're able to analyze the retail space in detail. Every week, we publish a report with the latest global trends and changes during the pandemic. And in each podcast episode, we'll discuss the key new trends from the report with information we get on the last full week of trade. Hello and welcome to CMSPI's Retail Relay. I'm Robbie, speaking out of Manchester in the UK. And I'm Callum, speaking out of Atlanta, Georgia in the US. And in this episode, we will go through the trends we've gathered for the week of 4th of May through to the 10th. Our three topics for this episode. Firstly, good news as the retail industry recovers in our overall figures. Some not as bad as you might think news for cash as a payment method. And finally, we'll look at the impact COVID might have on regulation in the payments industry and why it's more important than ever. Starting with the figures that we have for May 4th through to May 10th. So it's a a continued recovery for the retail industry, but we are now 141 billion dollars down on expected spending so that's expected spend of about 800 billion dollars since the end of february and actual spend of around 660 billion for some context 141 billion dollars is about the gdp of morocco or ukraine or about 1.2 amazons and that is the retailer not the rainforest so this week's contribution to that shortfall is $10 billion, which is actually um, one of the better um, kind of losses on expectations that we've seen in the past few weeks. And it means that we're now 17% down on average on expectations. So a story of continued recovery, and certainly that translates across into our sectors as well. So grocery up 13% on expectations to now 25.5 billion dollars above expected levels. Yeah, I mean overall it's a it's a slightly sorry state of affairs when we're considering a week where the retail industry only lost 9% of expected revenues as a positive week, but in the context of what's happened over the last couple of months it it definitely is a positive and it's a sign that slowly we're we're moving towards recovery and a few of the industries that have really been the the worst suffering, the fuel industry, the restaurant industry, et cetera, they've started to see, or really over the last three or four weeks, they've started to see improvements and we're noticing week on week it's getting better. So a few positive signals out there. And just for the numbers on that, so restaurants recovered again, only 24% down on expected spending. So like you said, Cal, the fourth week of growth there. Um, apparel shot back above, you know, 9% above expectations um, for the, the start of the month. So it's almost like we're seeing a second wave now of the impact of stimulus checks in the US. 
Yes, and that does make sense because the initial stimulus check, which came in mid-April, was only to 80 million Americans. And obviously, there's a lot more Americans than that that weren't on their list and didn't immediately get the checks. And they've kept filtering through over the, the weeks and, um, and days since then. So we're continuing to see some buoyancy, particularly online apparel. There was slightly worse week last week, but it's back up again this week, which is great news. And it's a sign that it works. And of course, the fiscal stimulus wasn't just the consumer, direct-to-consumer stimulus. There are other stimulus like the small business loans, et cetera, that might take a bit longer to feed through to retail spending levels. But these things are all interlinked and we would expect the effect of that wider $2.2 trillion stimulus to be felt over the course of a number of months, not just in one particular week. So yes, it's uh, that's another good sign that what the government's doing is is working to at least to at least a certain degree. So overall, then pretty positive, you know, continued recovery on that second wave of the stimulus, um, as well as you know maybe starting to see some of the benefits of easing lockdown, but still, you know, a long way to go for retail on the whole. So moving on to the second topic of today's podcast, we're going to look at slightly different data than we normally would because we've had data through on cash and specifically ATM withdrawals up to sort of the the middle of May. And the data that we have is from Europe and Oceania and essentially covers the level of withdrawals from ATMs in those regions. And the insights that we've got from that data might be quite surprising to a few people in the fact that they are relatively robust. And you know, ATM withdrawals in the UK, for example, if we take um, the end of February as a baseline, then ATM withdrawals actually surged above expectations to sort of 20% above expected levels for the entire month after, you know, the beginnings of the rumblings of, of lockdown. So something that we maybe wouldn't have, have expected, but equally, you know, there are many reasons why customers would turn to cash in times like this. Yeah, what we're seeing is what we might describe as, a, as an N-shaped curve for ATM withdrawals. So we've got the the big surge, particularly in Europe, in mid-March when the pandemic, obviously there's a lot of consumer panic and concern around and as it's surging cash withdrawals. And that is characteristic of a recession. Normally what the recession is characterized by is obviously high levels of consumer uncertainty and low interest rates. And both of them, both of those characteristics lend themselves quite well to uh, to bank runs and mass ATM withdrawals. And, you know, we have seen that in, in previous recessions as well. Um, so a big surge in ATM withdrawals initially, then it dives down and at one point ATM withdrawals in, in mid-April, I think, Robbie, were, were less than 50% of what we would expect in Europe. But what we've seen since then is them increasing and reaching, I think at the moment, they're consistently around sort of 70, 75% of expected levels, which yeah. on the whole, I think would be considered pretty good for the cash industry. So that's, you know, that that's that's a positive in a number of respects. Um, I mean, I think particularly in the US where 
cash spending is is cheaper for merchants to accept than card spending, you might see this as a as a positive sign. And I think with that initial surge in demand as well, you you spoke about the uncertainty of the times, and of course, people will turn to what they're most familiar with in times of uncertainty, and. Ultimately, that cash that's that's potentially been hoarded since the beginning of the pandemic is very likely to get released back into the economy once some of that uncertainty subsides. So like you said, a, a sign that cash probably isn't in as bad a place as you might have expected, given a lot of the news headlines at the moment that I'm sure the, the card schemes are loving. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the headlines are very negative about cash. I think there's a a view we see in a lot of media sources that suggest that this is the the death knell for cash, but the data that we've got suggests otherwise. That said, so when when this data did initially come through, um, and it was sent by our uh, our sister company company CMS Analytics, when this did when Robbie and I did initially see this data, our first instinct was to say, okay, this is good for cash. It suggests you know, it, it, you know, the, the news about it being killed off or being overstated. But our first instinct was to say, yes, but that's not necessarily strongly correlated to retail spending. And the, the reason for that is what Robbie was saying before. And that's to do with hoarding. So what you tend to find is cash withdrawals might shoot up during a recession. But generally speaking, it's being kept under mattresses um, and under couches as opposed to being spent at retail outlets. So we were saying, OK, it's a good signal. But it doesn't necessarily mean that cash spending is robust. So then what we did is we looked at um, cash spending in our retail sites. And like you said, it is, uh, again, a very positive um, story for cash. And ultimately, what we found was that for the stores that have closed down, obviously, cash volumes have plummeted to zero because they can't accept any payments. But for the stores that are actually still open and still operating in the US, cash spending was only single digit of a percent down on normal levels. And so when we look at the overall decline of cash across the entire payments mix, yes, of course, cash is going to be down overall because it can't be used to pay online unless there's cash on delivery, but it's not really a prominent payment method. But for the stores where people are still going and still paying in cash, you know, the impact really isn't that huge at all. And that's really surprising, again, based on the general narrative around cash at the moment, is that ultimately cash is still the preferred method of payment for a lot of people. And I think to, to maybe oversimplify it a little bit, people that don't use cash right now, and I fall into that bracket, um, I don't have any cash in my wallet at the moment, I will probably never use cash as my preferred method of payment. And I don't think that's going to change. But for the people that do use cash or did use cash pre-pandemic, it's almost the case that they will always use cash. And it's certain subsectors that really rely on cash to be able to pay. Yeah. So you know, particularly vulnerable consumers and maybe some, some more elderly demographics. So we might see a movement away from cash spending by these demographics over time, but that's a very long-term trend. And that's certainly something that the pandemic maybe is, is unlikely to accelerate. I mean, this has been 
as I'm sure you can imagine, a real hot topic within CMSPI over the last couple of months because this makes a big, big difference in terms of merchants' payment strategy, the answer to this question. If it really does spell the death of cash, then given how many costs associated with cash acceptance for merchants are fixed, retailers really would need to start thinking about cashless initiatives and be promoting them. If, on the other hand, cash is going to return to its pre-pandemic spending levels over the next few months, those cashless initiatives would seriously risk you losing sales, good sales, and also negative publicity as well to, to do with consumer access and civil liberties and all those sorts of things. So it's a fundamental question. That's why we spent so long analyzing these figures and and finding out what's really going on. But certainly our early indicators, and we'll continue to monitor this and continue to keep people updated on this, but our early indicators suggest that actually cash spending is more robust than you might think in areas where cash spending is still allowed. Absolutely. So I think we're, we're both agreed there. The, the decline has been overstated and we expect cash to bounce back. And that is a very good thing for merchants, not least because of the fact that it's relatively cheap to accept still in the US compared to the alternatives. But also it is quite important for regulation and setting the appropriate levels of regulation. So on to our final topic of the day, and we spoke about how cash is so important to payments regulation. And there was actually a lot of regulatory activity going on before COVID. Because of the trends that we've been discussing on this podcast for the past couple of episodes and in our retail payments review, payments regulation is now more important than ever because you have more online spend and online is less regulated than in-store. You have more card spend, and card spend is where the issues come in in the payments industry, where there's a need for regulation. So all of these things have almost been accelerated and things that regulators maybe could have left for consideration in five years' time, they now have to be thinking about it immediately. And there's a lot of issues that are being brought up now again, because of these accelerated trends that we're seeing. Yeah, so in in the US in particular, the big thing at the moment is the Federal Trade Commission, FTC inquiry into restrictions to pinless debit routing. And in a nutshell, to those of you that, that may not be familiar with this, this is essentially the fact that for debit transactions that are not authenticated with a pin, so that could be an online transaction, but it could be a face-to-face transaction at, for example, a quick service restaurant where you wouldn't want to ask for a pin just because of speed and ease of use at the point of sale. It's very, very difficult for merchants to route those transactions. And even where merchants do what they need to do and the debit networks, the local networks in the US have done what they need to do, there are still barriers that have been put up by the networks and the issuers to stop them being able to route those transactions to the usually almost always cheaper debit networks, local debit networks. So. This is obviously an issue, and this is being reviewed by the FTC. There's a view that it's a violation of the regulation as it stands today, as opposed to needing new regulation. But the reason it's become far more important during this pandemic is that, as Robbie said before, the number of online transactions is shooting up at the moment. And also, consumers are consistently reluctant to use PIN because PIN is, you know, it's, it's 
physical interaction at the point of sale and they'd rather use contactless and um and obviously uh, forms of even dip and go and forms of authentication that don't require that point of sale. So basically the pandemic and the trends that we're seeing as a result of the pandemic is reducing merchants' ability to route transactions competitively between networks, depending on lowest cost, which in turn is increasing the cost of payments acceptance of US merchants. So obviously what we're seeing there here is an outcome indirectly from the pandemic, which is completely contrary to what the regula regulation initially intended and that is an issue. And Robbie as well, you know, we're seeing slightly different, but just as serious issues in Europe. You're absolutely right. And it's almost like the card schemes have been planning for this outcome for a number of years now. It's un uncanny how what they've done in the past is paying off because of, you know, the commitments they've agreed. And in particular, if we look at the interregional interchange commitments that were implemented last year in October 2019. Essentially, what that did was bring interregional transactions where, say, a customer from the US was spending in Germany, at a German merchant. It brought those transactions within scope of the EU's interchange fee regulation, which has, you know, relatively low caps of 0.2% for debit interchange and 0.3% for credit interchange. Now, for card present transactions, the interregional commitments that were agreed brought those transactions within scope and under those same caps as what we see for domestic transactions in Europe. So it brought those transactions under 0 0.2 and 0.3% caps for interchange. Now, what the card schemes did was very successfully lobby on the card not present side to have significantly higher caps. And the cost of card not present transactions is generally higher anyway. However, for debit, the cap is now 1.15%. And for credit, it's 1.5%. And particularly for the credit side of things, that was barely even an improvement over the levels of interchange pre these commitments. So what you see now is that Whilst the entire retail industry is moving from card present to card not present spend, maybe whilst the commitments were being agreed upon and the, you know, the European Commission did a good job in getting these commitments in place, card present was still the primary way of paying and purchasing goods for retail. Online is now so important and almost for a lot of sectors, the only way you can pay that these card not present interregional caps are the ones that are being hit, not those 0 0.2 and 0.3%. So the card schemes have almost very successfully there carved themselves out the card not present side of things and kept interchange fees very high on that side. Yeah. So in summary, then in Europe, we've got the fact that interregional interchange fees are far higher for card not present than card present. And I believe as well, scheme fees or network fees across Europe are higher for card not present anyway. So you know, much higher fees for online. And in the US, we've got an issue whereby merchants are less able to route online transactions and also online transactions in the, you know, that's in the debit card space and the credit card space in the US. Online transactions are more expensive anyway. So basically, however you look at it across Europe and the US, the specifics of it might be slightly different, but the general theme is that online transactions 
are more difficult to route and they're more expensive. And as Robbie mentioned, this pandemic has accelerated massively that shift to online. So what might have been a trend that we were seeing over maybe five or six years, in five or six years, we're expecting online spend to accelerate beyond card present spend. That might now happen in five or six months. And it means that where there were maybe gaps in the regulation that were small gaps, and when the regulation was agreed, the merchants were maybe quite rightly focusing on interchange fees and card present fees because they were the big, you know, the big problems at the time, the big priorities. A lot of those problems might have been solved, but these slightly what were considered at the time small problems, 10 to 15% of volume problems, the fact that your network fees are regulated and the fact that the card not present fees are much higher, that at the time wasn't considered maybe a major issue. This pandemic has made that a huge issue. So where there were small holes in the regulation before, they are now gaping chasms and they need to be addressed on both sides of the Atlantic. The European Commission needs to look heavily at scheme fees. You know, I think the initial conclusion of the Ernst & Young report, I think, has not aged well with that pandemic. I think it's it now needs reviewing again straight away. Um, that's become a big problem. And in the US, this FTC inquiry might have been an issue for the merchants before. Now it's become twice, probably more than twice as important because online transactions, it's so important that that competition is there and you're able to route it. And that really is, I think, our call to action to the merchant community. This pandemic and the trends we are seeing makes the regulation we've got in place far less adequate and we need to do something about it. And that's where us as merchant advocates and as a merchant community needs to come together and do that. Um, and that's increasingly at CMSPI what we are looking to do. We're looking to bring the community together and think about ways that we collectively can make the industry more competitive, more innovative, more secure, and ultimately that will lead to better outcomes for everybody. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself, Callum. So to summarize then, it is now more important than ever for payments regulation to be scrutinized in much more detail than it has in previous years because of the impacts of COVID-19. So we hope this week's podcast has been insightful. You can check out the full retail payments review at cmspi.com under Resource Hub. You can also find us on LinkedIn at CMSPI. If you find this helpful, please share it with your colleagues or anyone you know who might enjoy this or leave a rating on Apple Podcast if you enjoyed it yourself. Thank you very much for listening and we will both be back next week for more.